Hello, hello, folks. Welcome to Fire Theft Radio. We, uh, as you can see by the title, of course, we have Michael Heiser with us, and we're going to talk about the demons. Ooh, Dude, he just went into uh, three different, uh, two, three different uh, accents right there. He had a French accent, he had a Southern accent. You had a Louisiana accent what? right now. I have no idea what you have right it's now. Because I watched, I watched Princess and the Frog. That's why. <laughs> I'm kidding. Now, but I have been watching a lot of Disney stuff for researchers' purposes. You know what I mean? Oh, but research purposes. That's my excuse every time I want to see a Disney movie. <laughs> let's see. I, I, let's see I what cool stuff is in the background. You know. I tried watching that Hamilton. Oh, oh dude, I can't get. Everyone's I all can't. about it. I can't stand it. Dude, I can't get past honestly the first. 15 minutes of it really oh dude it was so boring oh my gosh yeah it was so boring and it's so obviously political right. that's the thing i hate the most that it's yeah, obviously yeah. very incredibly political yeah. and i get it and i tried to like push past that but it was just at the end it was just boring wow. it was honestly it was just boring yeah, and everybody everybody in my house and around and just keeps talking about it and i'm like mm, no really no dude, I, like, not- I tried listening to it, man i tried watching it it's just I mean, the story is pretty cool. Alexander Hamilton's story is really cool. You know, it's just yeah. this guy who, who pretty much came from nothing and made it, made it. You know, right. and was was part of the uh, founding fathers of our nation and just all these things. It's like really interesting. Okay. But I don't know. It was just it was just boring, dude. Honestly, I don't know what the hype was. I real. I mean, I get the hype. I get the hype of like, oh, it's these dudes playing these old tiny guys and they're rapping. It's like, okay, is that it? <laughs> <laughs> That's it, dude. They're just rapping. They're rapping uh, to songs and just like, wow. they're saying, okay. The innovation, wow. Yeah, the innovation is the innovation oh. is that they're is that they're taking something new and they're putting it into the and they're putting it into the uh, into the 17th century. Yeah. And you're like, all right, well, is that it? And I, yeah, that was it. I was like, all right. all right. I don't know why people were scalping tickets and losing their minds. Well, uh, in the famous words of Michael Heiser that I hear him say a lot, nothing to see here, citizen, move along. You know what I mean? Pretty much. That's our review of Hamilton. <laughs> in case you guys wanted her, I don't know how we got into that. But let's continue. <laughs> let's continue with our demon stuff, bro. That's what we're here yeah, for. Man. So you got a story Ooh, about demons. some uh, you got a story about uh, some some evil situation going on. So Yeah, yeah, let's do a pro- let's, let's just do a proper show this time. Um, Okay. Yeah, so I got a I got a story here from phantomsandmonsters.com. If you guys don't know, that's a really cool website. Okay. Um, it's called The Pulse of the Paranormal. It's a really cool website where um, – and I'll put a link to it on the show notes. Very good. You guys can click on there, and they have a ton of uh, – this guy curates, and he assembles – Excuse me. Uh, assembles a lot of uh, first uh, first-hand accounts and testimonies of people who have encounters with just the weird and the craziness. The Everything spiritual, from Bigfoot, UFOs, the, the spiritual, paranormal. all yeah, the paranormal. And so he like um, people send him all these things. He verifies them as much as he can, and then he puts them on his website. It's a really cool website. You guys Very should good. go check it out. Actually, it'd be pretty awesome to have him on the show. His name is um, uh, is his name Lyle Blackburn? Is that the guy that does this one? Are you talking oh, no, about Kyle a, Blackburn? Oh no, that's Kyle Bigfoot Blackburn. Guy. That's yeah, that's the Bigfoot guy. No, um, what's this guy's name? I forgot uh, his name. Anyways, so yeah, I'll, I'll put a link in the show notes over there. Cool, but anyways, cool. the title of this one is called "Harrowing Black-eyed Woman Encounter in Phoenix, Arizona." So I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm just going to go over skim a, a couple of things like that. It says she says my experience with a black-eyed woman happened mid-December 2014. I was living in downtown Phoenix at the time and just moved into my apartment the previous month. 
She says, I was out with some friends that night and got home around 10 p.m. When I heard a knocking on my door, I peeked out the window to see who it was, and it was a young Hispanic woman who was very pale. She yelled, I need your help. I cracked the door open and asked, are you okay? What's wrong? And she says, I need to use your phone. I walked back out to give her my phone when I saw her lying on my couch. I told her, make it quick. I need to be at work in a few hours. As I said that, she turned her head toward me, took off her glasses and smiled. I couldn't move. Her eyes were completely black, like someone sharpied her eyeballs and had some type of black substance in her teeth. She stood up and eased her way towards me. I tossed her the phone, not wanting to be anywhere near the person. She grabbed it and made two calls, which later I found out were disconnected numbers. Hmm. When she asked, when she was done, I asked her, can you wait outside for your ride? I need to sleep. She replied, I can't leave. I said, you need to wait outside. I can't be in here. She began to cry. I told her, I'm sorry for whatever happened to you, but you really can't be in here. She looked up at me, smiled, and asked, can I use your bathroom before I leave? Ooh. About five minutes went by, and I heard knocking on the door again, as if the situation was in replay. I peeked out my window to see if it was the concerned neighbor, but it was her again. I sprinted to my door to lock it, but already, but it already was. I was paralyzed in fear. How could she lock my door from the inside and be out? I cracked my window open and threw out a sweatshirt with $20 with twenty in it. I yelled, get a cab, hitch a ride, just leave me alone. She didn't touch the sweatshirt or the money and sat there on my steps as if she was waiting for me. She said, needless to say, I didn't sleep the rest of the morning. As I left for work, I opened my door to see $20 on my doorstep. I looked like a brand new crisp $20 bill. I picked it up, ran to my car, and left to work. I'm not exactly sure why, ex what I experienced that night, but I will never, never forget it. Hmm. Yeah, pretty crazy. Have you ever heard of the Black Eyed Kid stories, man? Yes, I definitely hear. Uh, what's his name? That Russ Dizdar doesn't even deal with that. Yeah, situation? Russ Dizdar. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think Russ Dizdar talks about those Black Eyed Kids. Yeah, man, it's, it's, it's a, a kind of a weird situation because it seems that there's like this, you know, demonic underground plan to release these black-eyed people about black-eyed children or something or yeah. and, and it's, it's just a weird concept to think about you know and and he's had a lot of supernatural demonic experiences and from the stories that i've heard him say and i mean i don't know that stuff's creeping creeps me out there's this girl on instagram that's famous for black eyes and i'm like i wonder if she's one of them or is it just one of those contact lenses you know what i mean <laughs> oh yeah she has like the she dyed her um the uh the white of her eyes I'm not sure, but she's like super fit. She's like a fitness girl, you know? Yeah, there's some people who do that. So, like, they'll grab uh, ink mm. and they'll inject ink into their eyeballs, yeah. into the white into the white of their eyeballs. Right. And it'll um, spread and so it'll darken right. all of the white. So, I mean, they can still see it, I'm saying, but they just don't have any white. And uh, it looks like they have black eyes. That's interesting. But, uh, yeah. Well, that being said, man, when I, like, I don't know. We asked Mike in the show. I'm like, dude, what are we supposed to do with demons and situations? You know, stuff like yeah. that. You know, because... yeah. What if we open? What if we open our door one night and there's a black eyed person there? Yeah, what do yeah, we do? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like. Our... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean that story was that story is just a, as an example of like there's some weird stuff out there. Definitely. There's a lot of weird stuff out there. Definitely, there's, there's too much like, uh, a spiritual battle, spiritual weirdness, evil out there. Yeah. There's definitely whether that was possessed. a demon or not, we don't know. But right. there's a lot of weirdness out there for sure. Absolutely. And that being said, man, like we talked to Mike about demons because, you know, we want to approach the matter 
from a biblical perspective. And, and if you're from a Pentecostal or charismatic community, you might be like, well, I know what we're supposed to do. You were supposed to exercise that demon, you know, but, <laughs> but, uh, uh, you know, the, you know, when we start looking into the Bible, uh, we, we find little evidence to us as disciples uh, of Jesus to, to be doing that. And you might be like, no, that's not right. That's not correct. And well, how about you listen to the show and see what we're talking about? You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. Um, let's get this show going, man. And then and, and let's, let's, let's approach it. this demonic situation from a biblical perspective. And, uh, and uh, we, we're going to provide you some links and you guys can definitely look into this situation and you tell us what you, you, you guys think, you know what I mean? But uh, um, here we go. Welcome back to Fire Theft Radio, episode 49. And as always with me, what's going on, buddy? How you doing? What's up? What's well, going on, man? How not, you doing? I'm doing good, man. I got off early just uh, to, to get this done today because I was excited. I told my boss I had something incredibly important to do, and she didn't ask questions, so she let me get home early, and I was like, more, perfect. More important than slinging coke? <laughs> Yes, indeed. More important than selling Coca-Cola to the masses. So, nice. Um, nice. Okay. So, hey, we were talking about a wonderful subject. We are in episode 49, and we want to talk about demons. And uh, Yeah, definitely. Before we get into that, um, why don't you give our guest a proper introduction, Omar? Sure. On today's episode, we have Dr. Michael S. Heiser. He's the author of numerous best-selling books, including Unseen Realm, Supernatural, Angels, The World Turned Upside Down, The Bible Unfiltered, and The Facade Saga. He's executive director of the School of Theology at Celebration Church. He is also a podcast uh, podcast host, and he has a website, which is drmsh.com. That's drmsh.com. Welcome to the show, Dr. Michael Heiser. Yeah, thank you guys for having me back. It's been a while. Yes, it's yes. definitely been a while. <laughs> and uh, we thank you. When you came on, and I make fun of this, but it's true. When you came on, I think only like my dog and my mom listened to the show. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> and now, you know, you know, God has done his thing. Uh, and if, if they still like you, it was a success then. So. <laughs> <laughs> indeed, indeed. And uh, I'm super excited to have you back. It's funny because, you know, our, our show is considered to be of the fringe community and uh, of all the weird and controversial subjects we've talked about. Uh, theology, for some reason, was the most controversial, which really shouldn't be, but it is, you know. And uh, when are, we are you saying theology is the most fringy subject for your audience? Yes, yes, I'm, yes that's the crazy yes, part. Yes, it is. I don't know whether we can try. You know what I mean? <laughs> I know it's it's, yeah, really, yeah, it's yeah. really interesting. Yeah, because we yeah we can talk about aliens, Bigfoot. Um, when we have we've talked about a lot of those subjects, but when it comes to theology, it's a very um very touchy, controversial. Uh, subject 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, when we talked about those weird, like all the Nephilim, what the Nephilim spirits are, and all these different things, the giants, no giants, uh, all these weird things, right? Uh, people are like, okay, really cool, awesome episode, you know? And then we had uh, Michael Heiser on, which, you know, is a scholar and, and, and you know, gets into the actual context of, of the Bible. And I had people messaging me all upset, like, that's not what the Bible says. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Let's go. How will you do the research? And then we'll talk, you know what I mean? And they just, we get into these crazy things. And the most controversy I've had any time I bring up anything theological uh, within its context, if for some reason is a, is a more fringier situation. And it's, it's kind of crazy. But that being said, Mike, you know, we want you uh, to really just unravel this demon situation for us because uh, uh, our, our audience knows we did an episode about me and Omar uh, in our deliverance days, exercising demons. And um, we kind of started to realize our theology was really messed up in that situation, you know? And uh, I have this book right here in front of me, what the Bible really says about the powers of darkness. You know, that's uh, uh, your book about demons. And um, oh my goodness, I mean, I, I don't know what to say, but uh, I mean, let's, let's just get right into it, you know? Well, the, the, the subtitle is actually intentional. Uh, I guess we could start with the title of the book. Yeah, because uh, you know, the, demons is the word that the publisher wanted on the cover so that it would sell. Okay, <laughs> okay. nice. But the subtitle is you know what the Bible really says about the powers of darkness, and it's intentional in that I want to sort of hint up front that not all the powers of darkness are demons. Uh-huh. Uh, so you know, a lot of Christians. You know, they don't, they're not aware of that, again, because they're not thinking about this or that passage, again, in the context of the biblical writers. Again, if I have sort of a, you know, I hope it's, I hope I'm not a one-string banjo kind of guy, but I guess if I, if I do, if I do have that, my thing is a very simple proposition, and that is we're, we're, we're not doing the correct thing when we open our Bibles and sit in a circle and say, hey, what does this mean to you? And what we should be asking is, what do you think was in the head of the person God prompted to write this? Mm-hmm. And to the and in the heads of the audience to whom it was written. Mm. Again, and those people lived thousands of years ago. Their culture was quite different. Their worldview was quite different. You know, all of their contexts uh, were, were different than ours. They, they weren't asking a lot of the questions we asked. They were asking different questions, and they looked at the world quite a bit differently than we do. So, you know, when, when I write a book like, you know, Angels or Demons or, you know, Unseen Realm is the one I'm, I'm most known for, you know, what I want is I want the ancient Israelite living in your head when you read the Old Testament. I want the first century Jew living in your head when you read the new testament because hey guess what you know pro tip that's who wrote the stuff again under god's direction these are the people god picked and prepared providentially to write this content and they were writing with a purpose it wasn't random and purposeless they have an audience in mind and those people are alive when they're alive Mm -hmm. so these are very simple ideas but it's amazing how how often, how frequently these very simple ideas escape the attention 
of people today who, who really sincerely want to take the Bible seriously, but they're filtering it through their own little Christian subculture, whether that be evangelicalism or fundamentalism or the charismatic movement or the reformed you know, crowd or you know, Lutheranism, Catholicism, whatever. None of these contexts are the correct context for interpreting Scripture. The right context for interpreting the Bible is the context that produced the thing. Mm-hmm. This is how God acted with human writers to produce this thing we call the Bible. Right, right. So that's the reason that if we want to understand that thing, we might want to be looking at it and thinking about it and asking questions related to how the original writers and their audience thought. Again, very simple, but you know, let's be honest, it it, it it's it's mind-bending for a lot of you know Christians today, and, and my contention is that if we if you did that, a lot of the weird stuff in the Bible would make sense. It, be, it has its own coherence on its own, understood on its own terms. It all the weird stuff is important. It it, right. it fits into the framework of of you know the, the story that's unfolding you know in the bible it all has a contribution to make toward that story right and and thinking of that you know having that that ancient israelite in your head i, I really love the quotes your instagram you started posting quotes this last year and well, it's not me I, I actually i actually you know grew a few brain cells and hired somebody <laughs> <laughs> yeah no it took me a while to figure it out too actually but but uh, I really like those these uh, quotes, and they come from like the the different work that you do and and books, and they really make you think. You just just the quotes in and of themselves. And and speaking to this matter, uh, one of the quotes that you posted, I kind of want you to expand on this is, uh, oh, while the Old Testament makes no explicit point that the Messiah would have power over demons, second Second Temple Jewish literature certainly pointed readers in that direction. And me and Omar always had that question, like. Wait a minute, like, how come yeah. there was no demonic situation ever, hardly, in the Old Testament? And all of a sudden, just demons everywhere, you know? And, like, where do we get that from? And, and, and you know, I, why is the Second Temple literature important for this matter? Yeah, this, this is a really good example because, again, to, to sort of paraphrase you know, the, the question for your listeners, you know, if you read the Old Testament, you, you never see a demon cast out of anybody. In, in fact, anything that sort of seems like a demon, and you know, in English translations, you get this two or three times, but there are other things that could be construed as, as, as demonic. And when I say demonic, I'm actually, again, using the biblical definition of what a demon is, the disembodied spirit of one of the dead Nephilim or the giant clans. Okay, that's what a demon is. And they are not the principalities and powers. That's a different group. Okay, but you never see anybody delivered, you know, from one of these critters of okay, one of these evil spirits so how is it that when the messiah comes along and when jesus comes along the ability to do this the power to do this is looked at as proof of his messianic status like where does that come from yeah and the second temple period again that's the intertestamental period the second temple is the academic way of referring to the same period of time and the stuff that's written during that period of time by the Jewish community who look at the Old Testament as inspired. It's their Bible. It's the Word of God. And they're writing things about it. They're, they're studying it, thinking about it. In that period, it was very clear that they did think 
that the Messiah would indeed be an exorcist. Hmm. So I, I've actually done a whole episode on this on, on my podcast. It's, it's the episode where we talk about Psalm 91, hmm. which is actually really important because in among the Dead Sea Scrolls, the biblical stuff, you, 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 know, you can find Psalm 91, and it was actually found in a cave, in a, in a jar, group with four other psalms that are not in the hebrew bible but all of them were exorcist psalms and you have to ask well why would psalm 91 be included in, in in with these other four well if you if you're reading psalm 91 as again an ancient person you would realize that words like plague and pestilence and even the arrow that flies by day, you know, that the word figures into that translation, they're actually names of Canaanite deities that were considered, again, sinister evil spirits. And so in the psalm, you, it's, a, it's a Davidic psalm, uh, you know, it, it, there's messianic flavoring to it, you know, to cut to the chase here, the people read that psalm and, and assumed outright that, okay, the king... You know, the, the, the line of David and ultimately the Messiah is the son of David, the descendant of David, should be able to do what, what this psalm and a few others are describing, you know, about having power to deal, you know, keep, keep these evil spirits in their toe, you know, sort of put them in their place. Um, and so that, that's where the theology actually comes from. So when Jesus shows up and starts doing this, you know, we look at it and go, boy, I don't know where they're getting this idea. But a, a first century Jew would know where they're getting this idea because they, they know how to read certain Psalms. They don't read them the way we do. They, they read them you know, again in their ancient context. So when Jesus starts doing this, it's like, okay, this guy claims to be the son of David. Mm. And look what he's doing. Maybe we should listen to it. <laughs> you know? yeah. yeah, no, definitely. If he's was doing he... the things that, that he should be doing, you know, if he's really the son of David, the Messiah, this is one of the, the evidence points, and it draws a lot of attention. Was the was David um, quelling the spirit of that was inside Saul with his heart? Was that like a foreshadowing? Is that a symbol? Do you think? I, I, I think. That's a, that's a bit ambiguous because the yeah. evil spirit, you know, that, that God you know, punishes Saul with. It might be an entity, but it's a little odd that, that there's no exorcism. I mean, the, the Saul feels better when David plays, you know, on, on his lyre. And so the ambiguity is that, that the same terminology there for evil and then the word spirit. Since spirit is so often used for internal disposition, the way, you know, your emotions, your feelings, you know, the, your, you know, your, the act of your will and, and so on and so forth, it can refer, you know, to the you know, internal life, you know, the psychological aspect is the terminology we would use today. And so evil, since that word can be used and often is to basically refer to anything that's not, you know, helpful or any, right. anything that's harmful, you could be looking at in that passage as Saul's, he's, he's got a problem in the head. You know, he, he's, he, he's got a psycho, psychotic or psychological condition, and this soothes him. So it could go either way uh, in that. But, but you're, you're, it's good to draw attention to this because later on, again, in the Psalms, you know, 
this is going to be associated with David and with Solomon thereafter. There's there's a good good bit of Second Temple literature that has Solomon as an exorcist commanding demons to do this or that. Um, and again, he is he's the inheritor of the Davidic covenant, so that would make sense, you know, for, for Solomon to be kind of pointed out in that way. But the actual passage there, there it's, it's a bit ambiguous. It could go either way. My 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 curiosity, I guess, I, I'm wondering, you know, to take it back uh, to the Bible, because as I was asking you before the show, me and Omar kind of dealt with exorcisms and we were in a, in a deliverance ministry and in for that years for many years yeah and for in that specific ministry um they would you know and i think this goes across the board for many pentecostal charismatic communities and i hate to put this i don't know i'm, I'm just gonna say what it is like some of the stuff just seems unbiblical to me you know what i mean and mm-hmm. uh, but I, when I was reading uh, the Bible, I'm just wondering, like, where did we get this whole? Oh, there's a demon of lust. There's a demon of fear. There's a demon of laziness. Like where we were going, you know. And I'm like, dude, oh my gosh, I must have like three demons right there because I'm lazy. And like, you know what I mean? Like, it was like every, people would freak out sometimes because it's like all you would say is like, well, if you're lazy, you have a demon of, of laziness, and it's like people freak out. And then that's kind of the theology that we were teaching people about demons and they're, they're freaking them out. But I mean, now thinking back, I mean, I've read the Bible multiple times now. I was like, I can't find a single verse. It's telling me that there's specific demons to specific causes like that, you know, and I don't know that to be biblical in any sort of way. Or, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. Like, yeah, you don't, you don't have, you don't have specific demons named with, you know, specific sins i mean the closest you get to, to something like that is you know when, when jesus rails on the scribes and the pharisees and says you are your father the devil you know the father of lies you know that's and it's a reference back to you know eden to the garden you know, the, the original lie but you don't you don't really get that kind of talk you know when, when i hear that i wonder is there a demon of incompetence <laughs> because you know, like like where do where do honest mistakes come in? Yeah. Is there a demon of just not being a dedicated disciple? Hmm. I mean if you if you start blaming demons for everything, where is the personal responsibility? Correct. You know, and James chapter one is very clear that, that sin, you know, what is some is an internal matter. Uh you know, that it's conceived within, you know, the, the person's heart, you know. It, mm-hmm. Every person, you know, when they're tempted, is lured and enticed by his own desire is the wording, you know, that, that James uses. And when desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. You know, you know, Paul has a lot to say about the flesh. <clears throat> we have, we all of us have, and they're not always the same. We all have dispositions or predilections toward certain behaviors. And, and, and they even might be good desires, like the sexual desire, and God, you know, God's, you know, laws and principles, you know, circums, circumscribe that. But we, we, we actually have, you know, Paul, you know, roots our struggle, like in Romans 7, his own struggle, mm-hmm. and his flesh. Mm-hmm. You know, and we're told, you know, about fleshly lusts, which war against the soul. There's this spirit, you know, the spirit within us, you know, wrestling against our, our, our body, our flesh. So it seems very clear, <laughs> excuse me, it seems very clear where you have these these explicit passages where the New Testament writers root the, the locus of our struggle is within ourselves 
and, and you don't have, again, a sort of a, a taxonomy of demons that are specifically associated with specific sins. You just don't have that. So I don't really know where the idea came from. Probably, you know, you get general passages, you know, where First John 3, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, or, or Ephesians 4, 27, about giving opportunity to the devil. You know, and, and those, those passages make it clear that, that there, the powers of darkness can play a role in your struggle. But Scripture tends to be very explicit that, you can be enslaved to your flesh. You know, this is this is the root, the locus of, you know, what you have to war against. Why? Why would that be? Why, why do Peter's talk about fleshly lusts, which war against the soul? Well, for the believer, your body is the thing that is not redeemed yet. Mm-hmm. The internal you is the thing that is a new creation. Mm-hmm. So it, it, you have this conflict. You are a redeemed human in an unredeemed body okay this is why in the resurrection talk of the new testament it refers to the body because the internal you is already redeemed so it it, it, scripture naturally has this conflict described in those terms and you don't get you know again beware lest you be assaulted by you know a grocery list of demons you never have that but nevertheless you know intelligent evil can play a role you can be manipulated you know if you give yourself you know over to certain things that that's just going to be part of your struggle but it's not the whole struggle and i would say it's not even the you know for the most part the the substantial you know struggle you have Uh, it's a long way of saying you know we can screw our lives up just fine by ourselves you know (laughs) right (laughs) no we're we're responsible we don't need to blame you know a a demon no if everything's an external cause it becomes awfully convenient to to view yourself as a victim right exactly and that's never good no and i'm glad you you explained that uh, because I mean, unfortunately, I, the organization we, we used to belong to that we went to you know, many years ago, I, it was, uh, I mean, they have a following of a few million people. And, and I can tell you that that is the general uh, consensus or the general idea is, you know, if you're lusting, if, you know, just everyday struggles, it's a demon. And so everyone is kind of carrying that burden of like, I got demons attacking me all day, every day, you know, and it's just like, it, it puts you on this hundred, another level of anxiety, almost you can't really focus on. Well, sure, because, else, you know? because the, and it, if whatever prescription that somebody gives you, you know, pray this prayer, do this ritual, whatever, if it doesn't work, the problem's always you, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it, yeah. It, it, it becomes it becomes something that people it can be kind of a spiritual death spiral to be honest with you um, you know if if we if we fail to realize and this is a big leap you know because you know we're responsible people like to feel that that if they have a good relationship with someone they they've earned that relationship and and they've not you know messed it up uh, you know, we, we think in these conditional terms, but that is what the gospel is. You know, we, we tend to think that, you know, God might not look at us the same way today, like if we're struggling with sin, and, and, and you know, that, that he looked at us the day we became a believer. Well, that is a false theology. Mm. How do I know that? I know it because of Romans 5, specifically verse 8. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Mm. 
Okay, it doesn't say while we were in the process of cleaning up our act, you know, while we were reformed, you know, or, you know, it doesn't say any of that. It says while we were doing the very thing that we, you know, each of us knows the worst thing that we've ever done. While we were in the process of doing that, with no thought at all about God, you know, caring what God thought, Christ died for us. Hmm. You know, it, it's a very simple thing. To, but, but it's hard to, it's hard for us as humans to, to accept, you know, because with what the gospel does is it, it insists that we recognize that we are helpless. And that's a hard thing for people to embrace, that they can do nothing. You know, they don't need to do anything. And so, you know, it's, again, I call it a death spiral because somebody might know the gospel and believe it, but then when they start struggling with sin and and they have all these prescriptions to fulfill and these rituals to perform, you know, and these prayers of renunciation or whatever, and and it doesn't, it doesn't go right. Well, the, the, the problem, you know, must, it must be you, you know, you don't have enough faith or you don't, you're not doing this right, or you missed a comma, you know, in that prayer, something like that. The problem. You know, and the reality is, God loves you anyway. Mm-hmm. He, okay, he, he loves you, and you need to speak truth to lies. And then in some cases, we have to speak these things to ourselves. Okay, my God's love for me is not conditioned on my performance. Okay, while I was performing everything bad, Christ died for me. Right, you know? right, right. This, this isn't the basis of the relationship. No, it's the basis of, of having a life that, that shows gratitude to God for what, you know, for what we have in salvation. It, 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 you know, performance becomes an issue in terms of, of our usefulness to God. But God's disposition never changes. He loved you before you even worried about what he thought. Okay, so his, his disposition is not changing. So we need to sort of get out of this trap. And I, I see some, I mean, I, I only know a handful of people in deliverance, you know, ministry. And, and I know it's a spectrum. Deliverance ministry is a spectrum. But right. I, I know enough to to know that they themselves struggled with this and, and they eventually had to break with it because they realized that they were they were kind of enslaving people, you know, and, and, and just really killing their 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 spiritual life, you know, with the dance. That being said, yeah. um, Omar, you had a question? No, I was just going to comment on that, like yeah. what, exactly what you just said right now, Mike, about how <clears throat> how we all struggle and then how we um, how we just put ourselves in these positions of like, well, I'm the victim. And then we blame these external factors. And this, uh, the, the church that we were going to is exactly, that's what it does. And that's the whole point. It's, it's a cult, you know, where we were going is a cult. And that's one of the tools that they use in order to enslave the other people to make sure that people remain within this cult. Mm-hmm. And they, they put guilt and they put yeah. all these external factors and fear on these people saying that, oh, it's these demons that are doing this to you. And so these people try their hardest, you know, they give all their money, they give all their wealth, literally give their wealth, give their houses, their cars. They, they, um, they Salvation and they pray. Is, is tentative. Well, I mean, you can lose yeah. it at a whim. Yeah. And then yeah. 
you can get repossessed by demons according to their theology. by demons so you always have to stay on the ball you always have to make sure your eyes are always forward because any little thing any left or right can result in demonic possession and then guess what you have to restart all over again you have to give more you have to go more it's spend yeah, more time there so it's like this cycle you know contrary it's quite contrary to, to new testament thinking you know in in, in the book i i one of the part, portions of the book I talk about, I, I ask this question, why does Paul, you know, half a dozen times, when he's talking about the resurrection and the ascension, those are two related but different things. You have the resurrection that Jesus ascends a little bit later, you know, to, to the right hand of God, which is the position of authority and rule. Why does Paul connect the resurrection and the ascension in half a dozen passages with the defeat of the principalities and the powers, the rulers of darkness. It, it, it seems like an odd thing to connect because, you know, when we think of resurrection, we think, man, I'm going to be at my ideal weight. Oh, I'll get my hair back. Oh, I got my hair back. That's what I'm looking forward to. Right. You know, we, we tend to sort of be focused on the, on the physical renewal idea, you know, not having disease and eternal life and all this sort of stuff. And Paul does that. You know, he does that in 1 Corinthians 15 and some other passages. But there are other passages where he, he for some reason, connects the resurrection and the ascension with the defeat of the principalities and the powers, the powers of darkness. Well, the reason is, is, you know, is variegated, but just think about it for the purposes of this podcast. Just think about this. If the New Testament connects the nullification of the authority of the principalities and powers, these are geographical, you know, dominion kinds of things, okay, these, these terms. In, in, in what I call divine council theology, the Old Testament, these are the fallen gods of the nations, you know, that are given geographical rule. This is where Daniel gets his theology of supernatural princes over nations, Persia, Greece, whatever, in Daniel 10. Their authority is taken away. It is nullified. It is, it is made nothing by the resurrection and the ascension. If that's the case, by definition, if a believer could be repossessed by something like that, then apparently the resurrection and the ascension didn't really happen. Mm. Okay, that's really bad theology. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Not no, like yeah. mega bad theology. Mm. But we, we all know, I, th I think I'm catching the drift of your description of that. The reason why that's done is not to teach good theology. The reason that's done is for control. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, and that, that's really where things are at. But it is quite contrary to a New Testament idea. You know, Paul would have been appalled um, by that this idea because what it means, you know, their authority is either nullified or it isn't. Yeah. And something okay. that's uh, some... if it's still active, then we've got a real problem, you know, with the resurrection of the ascension. Mm -hmm. No, exactly. And this is something that's uh, was said frequently in that uh, in the cult that we were going was that Jesus is a gentleman and he always asks permission to enter your life, but the devil isn't, and he'll just come in whenever he wants. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that was their basis. That was like yeah. their... why? Why would Jesus? Think of Luke ten. Okay, what, what happens in Luke 10? Okay, Jesus has just begun his public ministry. And he sends out 
not not 12, but he sends out 70, which is significant mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because it's it's a sign that I'm not just the the, the savior of, of the Jews. Okay, I have 12 disciples, but I'm going to send out 70 now mm-hmm. into the hinterlands because the number 70 is the number of nations that were disinherited at Babel, mm-hmm. over whom, you know, God put lesser you know, sons of God. This is Deuteronomy 32, 8, and 9. Again, reading that with the Dead Sea Scrolls anyway. And a number of English translations have incorporated Dead Sea Scrolls. That, but the nations are under dominion. Again, this is where Daniel gets his theology. So when Jesus sends out 70, it's like, I'm also the Messiah for every nation, for the Gentile as well. I'm here for every last inch of the place, okay? Not just something the size of New Jersey. It's not just about, you know, it is. Okay, so when he does this, and then he, they come back, and they're they're like awestruck that, that, they can cast out demons and, and do some of these other things. And what does Jesus say? He says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Now, Satan was already judged at the garden, okay? So he can't be referring to that. So what, what's he referring to? Well, look at what you're doing. You're announcing the kingdom of God over all the world, and you're, you're clinking the kingdom of God with the expulsion, the binding of these evil spirits. And now you've you've added to that mix, you've thrown this into the blunder. You see Satan fall like lightning from heaven. It's expulsion language. Well, what was what was Satan's role? Well, the term means again adversary. And you have this concept, you know, in the old and the New Testament about the, the one who owns your soul because everything dies, you know, i.e. Satan, allowed to bring accusation against people what look at all that what what jesus is saying here is look if you are a member of my kingdom the accuser has nothing to say there is no accusation he cannot own you anymore he has been expelled from heaven you know god doesn't want to hear it anymore there's no argument to bring he's a prosecutor without a case and not only that, but the judge is you know, just dismissing him, okay? Mm-hmm. This is the language. And so, you know, all of that is, is theo- theologically significant. And the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan, these are, these are two oppositional kingdoms in conflict. If you are a member of the one kingdom, okay, you are not a member of the other. And that, that you know, the, 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 the master of the kingdom of death has no hold of you over you. Okay, your body might die, but you'll have everlasting life at the resurrection because Christ has risen. All of these theological thoughts are connected. They're not just random theological bullet points that don't relate to one another. But again, this is how we're taught to read the Bible, like it's a checklist or something. Yeah, yeah. These are dots that need to be connected that form a, a... a worldview, okay, a supernatural worldview that, that, that where Jesus is the center and what he's doing. So you are under no threat. This is why Peter says, look, you know, your adversary is still the devil, and he's looking around to see who he can devour, but now you can resist him because he has no authority. So don't give in to him. You know, if you resist him, he'll flee. He'll run away like a scared puppy, okay? He, he, he's... He, because he has nothing to say in the matter of your relationship to God. 
Jesus has everything to say about that matter. So, and you are in Christ. You are united with Christ. Again, all these theological concepts are interrelated. Right. And yeah. so as a Christian and as a believer, as a as a someone who belongs to the kingdom now, how should we be approaching this demonic situation then? Because I mean, a lot of the times, I mean, I, from what I saw, especially in this other ministry, it's like our focus was a little bit too much on uh, expelling demons everywhere. If it's in this part of your life, that part of your life, it seems that there's a more important thing than that. And I mean, that might sound like blasphemy to uh, to the people in the well, deliverance what, ministry. But but what, what should we be doing then? You know, how do we approach that matter? Well, Jesus would like you to be his disciple. Okay, when, when, when he, you know, when he gets asked questions like, what are the greatest commandments? One of them isn't, you know, you're, you're a ghostbuster now. Go after demons. Okay, that's not what he said. <laughs> that's a great way a ghostbuster. <laughs> well, that's what we've turned this into. Right. Yeah, no, exactly. Okay, that's what what you're yeah. supposed to do, I mean, the two greatest commands, love God and love your neighbor. And he says, this is, this is the whole law can be condensed into these two things. Well, how do you love God? Well, first of all, you can't really love God if you unless if you reject the Messiah. Well, that that's not really loving God. Okay, so the first thing is your relationship to God, and then you treat, you know, you 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 become like Him. You image Him. This is this is you know going back to to, to Adam and Eve being created as an imager of God. This was God's original intent. He, intent. he creates humans to be fit for His presence, fit for sacred space. And, and he makes them his proxies, his representatives on the earth. So God is always trying to get back to the Edenic plan. He never gives up on it. He never has plan B. There's only plan A. He never gives up on the original plan. So, you know, we're, we're, so this is why Jesus is called the express, the ultimate image of God. And, and then Jesus says, look, I want you to be conformed to my image. Be imitators of me. All right. This is what you're supposed to do. Okay. You might, in the in the course of living life as a disciple, you know, imaging Jesus, becoming more like him and following him, you might run into a supernatural power or an entity. And I always recommend, you know, again, it's simple. Speak truth to lies. Okay, we, we don't treat this like we're ghostbusters. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hitch on my whatever that transmogrifier thing, you know, and I'm going to go looking. Now, you know, this this is my, my ministry. This is my walk with God. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm going to go out and find all the demons I can, you know, and, and where I don't find them, I'll manufacture a few and then we'll shoot at those, you know. Yeah. So, again, this is not the point. But when you encounter something like that, well, what is the truth? The truth is you have no authority. You have no authority here. In fact, your destiny is already sealed. Well, You're going to perish. You know, Psalm 82, Isaiah you know, 24, Isaiah 30, you know, 34. You guys are going to perish. You're going to remain in the realm of the dead. This is where you belong. But, but I, and, and maybe this believer that you know, is under your power, they're not going to do that. You have no claim over their souls. You have no authority to victimize them. You know, this is this is what you're doing. So you need to cease. You need to stop. You know, because it, it, a lot of this is really talking to people who are also victimized. 
you know, now a possession is a little bit different because then the issue is one of ownership. If the person is a believer, you know, and, and you know, Jesus, ha- you know, does this. It's interesting that, that sometimes, sometimes you can't really tell if the person he delivers is a believer or not. Is he a follower of Jesus or not? Maybe he never even heard of Jesus, you know. But but the thing is, is that they're being cast out because the gospel, the kingdom of God, is now here. It is present. It is being offered. And, and you have no say over whether this person is going to embrace it or not. But that's up to that person. It's not up to you. So, I mean, there, there's all sorts of theological things that, that we need to reinforce in the mind of, of people who are able you know, to hear. But when it comes to these entities, we, we don't assume that we're going to yell at them and they're going to be frightened away. The only thing that's going to frighten them is the word of God, and especially especially the threat of the Great Commission being carried forward. Mm. You know, that might sound really odd, but but Paul actually links the destruction of the kingdom of Satan and the destruction of these individual powers with the, quote, fullness of the Gentiles. <laughs> yeah. If you're reading Romans 9 through 11, what's the fullness of the Gentiles? Well, that is when God decides that He has drawn the people from the nations into his family, into his kingdom. That's sort of the, you know, the bag is full now. And that's going to trigger, again, and only God knows what the mechanisms are. That's going to trigger the awakening of Israel. And then the end will come. And when the end comes, the day of the Lord, they are going to be destroyed. Right now their authority has been nullified, but they're still fighting for their turf. They're still harassing. They're only actually destroyed when the day of the Lord comes. I mean, again, this is these are Old Testament passages about the powers being they're going to die like men. You know, Psalm eighty-two yeah. and all these right. things. Well, that is that is true. That's an eschatological concept. And so, you know, I, I like to ask people, what it, you know, okay, powers of darkness. What is it they fear? Well, they don't fear the volume of your voice. Okay. You know, they, they might they might fear the name of God, they might fear the name of Jesus again, because that's speaking truth to lies. You know, tell, telling them who Jesus is, that you're aligned with Him, that, that He has no authority, so on and so forth. Okay, but they're you know, what they really fear is knowing that as the kingdom of God grows and the kingdom of darkness diminishes, there's going to come a point where the switch is flipped. And the day of the Lord, you know, arrives, and they die. Okay, that's what they fear. They fear their own death, their own destruction. And so they need to be reminded that you know all about that. So, you know, class is in session. Here's your fate. Yeah. So I, I have another question relating to, like, scripture, and it's just it just bugged me my whole life. Me and Omar have had this conversation as well. Um, there's these conversations, sometimes scholars have like, uh, well, at least I've heard scholars have these conversations about certain scripture, uh, when they translate, like, oh, they're not sure where it belonged, if it's before or after, like Mark has, and depending on what Bible you read, it has a little bit more after, you know, and or a little bit less because they're not sure if it belongs there or not and things like that. That being said, there is one that's like that that I've heard is the the verse that talks about the disciples not being able to expel demons 
And then the verse goes, says, well, this one doesn't leave without prayer and fasting, you know? And I, I've heard the conversation was that that specific scripture was, there's a conversation that maybe it wasn't there or it doesn't belong there. I don't know if you've heard that. And um, I just, I've always been confused by that verse because it doesn't make sense to me that uh, a certain demon would require a little more extra effort on your part to be expelled. You know what I mean? Well, is it, is it really effort on your part or is it more dependence on God? Ah, okay. You know, you know, maybe, maybe sometimes, you know, I, th I think the, I think the, the general point here is true in, in every situation, you know, even, even Michael, the archangel refused to bring a railing accusation against Satan. Okay. And, 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 you know, Jude actually says, you know, when, when he compares what's going on, you know, in that situation, like with false teachers, he's like, look, even angels have the sense to not do this. Okay. Like, like you don't, you don't ever go after these things in your own authority. So that, that's sort of a general principle. Mm -hmm. and, and my takeaway from, from that sort of reference is that what God wants to see from all of his servants in these situations is dependence on him. And so maybe the point is that, you know, you're going to get resistance because they are, you know, fighting for their turf. They're fighting for their lives, to be honest with you. Mm. And when it doesn't just like work like clockwork, when you do have resistance, because these are free will beings, just like you are, um, you need to depend on God. In other words, you don't need to change the formula. You don't need to, you know, okay, well, that didn't work. You know, depending on God, didn't work. So maybe I need to do something. No, you stick with the program, and it's just going to take a while. You know, you might have to have spend more time in prayer. What's prayer? Does God learn anything in prayer? No, he doesn't learn anything in prayer. Prayer is really, again, our gesture of dependence on his will. Okay, maybe we need to spend a little more time, you know, doing that and not giving up. But instead of giving up, we're still dependent on you, Lord, to, to resolve the situation. We're not going to try anything else. You are the solution. And so so that, that's my takeaway from you know, passages like that. And mm -hmm. I've not ever heard uh, a specific textual problem there. You know, if I had the verse reference, you know, I could look it up. Mm -hmm. But I've not specifically heard um, there's a textual issue on that one. Mm, okay. And then as... For me, the like the last thing that kind of blew my mind that I read in your book, Unseen Realm, is the usage of the word Satan in the Old Testament, you know, and there seems to be kind of like um, a mix and match, especially in the evangelical community, at least the church that I go to, you know, they kind of generalize all Satans and all, you know, you know, um, the Garden of Eden, Satan to everything else, like it's just kind of all one, you know. And um, there seems to be a distinction in the book of Job. Uh, and me, you know, me and Omar have a lot of conversations. I always say me and Omar, me and Omar. It's just because we've always asked these questions and we, <laughs> we really never had no one else, and, you know, to really ask these questions until we just kind of stumbled upon your work. And it was like years and years of research. And then it's just like, oh, by the way, that answered our question many years later. You know what I mean? Like, and so mm -hmm. uh, that question is, we always wonder, like, why, why is this Satan character allowed to be before god you know like we were me and omar asked that question a long time ago you know right and we were like 
if, if this is the devil, it doesn't seem he belongs there. Right. And, you know, and, the, and then we would ask our pastors or different people and they're like, well, it's, it's kind of a, it's kind of a one-off situation. You know, it was, I don't know. It was weird. God can do whatever he wants. It was just kind of explained away. Like, like there was really no explanation, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I'm just wondering like, why is this Satan character allowed to be before God and, you know, give him a little lip? Like what's going on with this? You know? Yeah. They, they, it, it's, this isn't the devil in Job, okay? But what? <laughs> <laughs> How dare you, what? Mike? <laughs> right. The terminology again is going to be applied to the devil later on in, you know, in, in Scripture. You know, let, let's frame it this way. And and you know, for the sake of your audience, you know, if if you were in a secular, you know, college and you had to take a religion class and, and you had a professor that just didn't like Christians, you know, this is one of the places where they're going to go to to befuddle you and make you think that, you know, oh, everything you taught, you know, you've been taught is wrong and blah, 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 which is nonsense. OK, but they're going to go to this and they're going to ask a question like, hey, do you realize that the word, you know, is translated Satan, it's Satan in, in Hebrew, but that's never applied to the serpent of Genesis 3 anywhere in the Old Testament. And, and that's true. Okay, like if you actually looked, you know, that, that, that's true. You looked in a concordance. The serpent of, of Eden is never called Satan. Now, the only place in the New Testament where he is, is in the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. So, again, your, your, your trusty, you know, antagonistic professor would say, look at that, you know, all this stuff, you, you know, you've been taught about Satan, you know, Satan being the, the serpent. It's not true. It's just bogus, you know, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And they're basing that on the use of a particular word in a particular passage. Okay, but since most Christians have never heard this, this is like they're flummoxed, you know, like they're, they're shocked, you know, by this. What, what you have going on in Job, I mean, here, here's, here's the way, here's what's going on. Let's start with Job. Job 1 and 2 is a divine council scene. It's a scene in God's court. And the Satan... It's, the term just means adversary or challenger. You know, some some actually some scholars like to think of it as a prosecutor, that kind of thing. This particular entity is beckoned or shows up in the divine court meeting. And what does God ask him? God asks, "Hey, you know, where you been?" And what is what's his answer? You know, I've been running around to and fro through the whole earth, you know, checking things out. Well. This is actually an office. This guy is doing his job. I mean, again, I'm on my podcast, Naked Bible Podcast. I did a whole episode on, on that's titled Heavenly Books. You know, we're familiar with the Book of Life, but there's actually half a dozen different books hmm. that are alluded to in the Bible. And it's a very common ancient Near Eastern idea and a biblical idea that God enlists the help of the members of the heavenly host to record what's going on. Now, the point of that is not that God is a bad memory. It's not that well, one of his attributes is having Alzheimer's. Yeah. No, the point is that God doesn't miss anything. All right? That's what you're supposed to take from the metaphor. That when, you, when you're judged, there will be a complete record here. Okay, now, you know, as believers, the judgment against you is blotted out, as Paul would say, through the blood of Christ and all that. But the point is that God doesn't miss anything. And here we, in, in Job, you know, one and two, we have one particular entity, and his title, his job title, is Satan, and he reports, 
And God says, hey, you know, where you been? And he tells him. And then God says, hey, have you checked out Job? That guy's awesome. You know, he's blameless. You know, he, you know and, and, and what does is, what is the Satan do? He says, yeah, yeah, I've seen that guy. But if you take away all that he's had, all that he has, and, and, and you know, afflict him, he'll curse you to your face. And he steps over the line at this point. He steps over the line. You know, I should back up a little bit and say, we know that this is an office and not a proper name, capital S, Satan, even though English Bibles will capitalize it. Because in Hebrew, Hebrew is like English. It doesn't tolerate a definite article, the word the, in front of a proper personal name. Like, I'm not the Mike. Right. We don't have, you know, the Omar. Or I always say the exception here is Donald Trump. He's the Donald, okay? But you get the idea. I mean, English, does that. that's not tolerated. Hebrew is the same way. You never put a definite article in front of a proper personal name. Well, in every instance in Job 1 and 2 and in Zechariah 3, Satan is preceded by the definite article. That tells you it's not a personal name. We do not have capital S Satan here. We have the Satan. It's a title. It's a job title. But when he, when he says this to God about Job, he has crossed the line. Your job is to report. And by virtue of, of this challenge now, he has, he has questioned God on, in two regards. He has questioned God's omniscience, and he's questioned God's assessment of Job, his integrity. And so what happens? This is why God says, okay, okay, the rest of the court here has heard what you said. We're going to find out who's correct. You are allowed to do anything you want to Job except kill him. And the reason why you, I'm not letting you kill him is because I don't want you to come back here and say, oh, yeah, you know, it, it, he died while I was doing all this stuff to him. You know, and, and he, you're right, you know, he didn't curse you, but if I'd have put, done this one more thing, you know, he would have, he would have, you know, cursed you to your fate. No, no, you do everything you can think of, and we're going to preserve him alive so that you don't have that excuse. And we'll see who's correct. Now, you, the reader of Job, you know, you, you know the first two chapters. Job doesn't know any of this is going on. And he's blameless. And so he wonders why he's suffering. Because he's truly blameless. He, and, and, and we know the story. He doesn't curse God. He, he questions a lot. Like, why is this happening to me? And he complains. And Well, no kidding. Okay? But he never curses God. Now, God restores everything to him at the end. But the whole point of the story is God defends his integrity and his omniscience in the council before the rest of the heavenly host against this this uppity, lippy, you know, entity. Now, you know, I don't know if you guys have ever seen the movie Time Bandits. Have you ever seen that? Uh, I've heard you mention it. I, I have not seen it yet. But there's, there's there, one of the characters is, you know, characters like God and the evil one. And, and the evil one has, of course, all these really stupid henchmen, okay? And so one of them lips off to him you know, during a, a, a conversation and the evil one looks at him and says, what did you say? And then he repeats it and he goes, and then he just, he just blows him up. Blows him. <laughs> Don't ever talk to me like that again. Well, you know, God could do that. But if God does that, 
the challenge is still on the table. We'll never know now if the Satan yeah. is correct or not. You know, so so this is why Job is the way it is. God, you know, lets this play out. And you say, well, why does why does the Hasatan, why does the Satan do this? The answer is because he can, because he has a free will. God is not happy. He's not pleased. We don't know if God punished him any further or, or if the embarrassment was sufficient. We, you know, we don't know any of the details. Now, the, the, his, his role there to observe and then, you know, what, what he's doing is, is he's running to and fro throughout the whole earth to see who's obedient to God and who isn't because this is, it's all part of this record keeping. Yes, so it's a term that later on in the intertestamental period, the second temple period, and then the New Testament, some writers all of a sudden, you know, are, are thinking about, you know, okay, this serpent dude, the ultimate original rebel, you know, we're, we're going to call him some names because he deserves them. So he gets called Mastema, okay, which is another word for accuser. He gets called Belial, the, the worthless one. He gets called Beelzebul, okay, prince, you know, the, the, the Prince ba Prince Baal, the Lord of the Dead, you know, Prince of Darkness, Lord of the Flies. I mean, they, they, they invent a lot of names for this, this original rebel figure. Well, one of the names that they coin is Satan, Satan, capital S, as a proper name in Greek. Why? Why, why does it fit? Because he's an accuser. Yeah. He wants God to know that, you know, these people sin. And you can't tolerate sin. Mm -hmm. And they're, when they die, they're mine. Mm. Wow. Okay, so if the shoe fits, wear it. So, you know, it, it doesn't matter that the term only gets applied later on. The real question is, does the shoe fit? Is the theology coherent? And it is. Okay, it is. Because the serpent gets expelled. There is no more Eden. And he becomes Lord of the dead in Old Testament theology. He is cast to the Eretz, to the ground, yes, but Eretz is also in Hebrew a word for the underworld. Now we have death as a result of the fall. And whose domain is the, is the realm of the dead? It's his. This is where he lives now. So instead of being like the Most High and above the Most High, Isaiah 14, he is now literally underfoot because in Hebrew cosmology, the underworld is beneath the feet of even the animals. He is the lowest of low yeah. instead of the highest of high. Right. Okay, it's a reversal. Yeah, so, so this is who he is, but, but these, these other names get coined as time goes on because he's all those things. He deserves every title he gets. It just so happens that this particular title isn't used of this figure in the Old Testament. Instead, it is a job description. It's not a proper name. Mm, yeah. Man, yeah, I, I in reading that that and many other things in like unseen realm and 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 your book angels and different things, I'm just like, man, there's so many things that I thought I knew but I didn't, and um, I think I mentioned scripture, to you, you know, scripture is a wellspring. It, it's a thing of wonder. Absolutely, <laughs> yeah, absolutely, I mean, it is. You know, because again, if. <sighs> You know, a lot of people despair when I when they hear me talk. <laughs> <laughs> they let out a big like, breath. How am I ever going to be able to to like think? You know, the way they thought. And I'll okay. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going to use a four letter word here. It's work. A lot of work. Yeah. Work. 
But you live at a time when you have so much information about the ancient world, the contexts of the Bible at your disposal, literally at your fingertips, that you actually can make progress in this area every day. Yeah. Okay. Every day you can get a little bit better. You can store away a little more information to help you process the Bible a little a little a little better and help you know help yourself think like they thought you can do it okay you can do it it's just that it, it people get a, you know they get they get tired even thinking about it well you know it's the word of god it's worth a little bit of time okay and 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 you will reap rewards i mean I, the books i write i try i try to get people started you know, like you just these are kickstart books, you know, mm-hmm. but there's lots of things to discover uh, in Scripture. Absolutely. And uh, I think yeah, your podcast definitely. is a good place to start. Um, and uh, well, Mike, where can they find your stuff if, if people want to get into this? Because, I, I mean, I've been, you know, I, I've consumed most of your Naked Bible podcast. Uh, I'm a little behind because you're really consistent with those lately more and more and more. And I'm like, dang, I'm like a hundred episodes behind, you know? <laughs> You know, you know, like, yeah, but uh, yeah, remember in the beginning though, like, uh, uh, Mike, when you just put that out, me and Chuck were just every, every, every one were, but yeah, right now we're a little one. bit behind because yeah. we're just pushing them out. <laughs> yes, indeed. Well, and and it's, I, it's been awesome. I understand. I mean, it, it's, it's, my feet are held to the fire at some point. <laughs> 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 uh, the, the web, you know, the nerve center is DR, as in doctor, D-R-M-S-H. Those are my initials. And you can get links, you know, to, you know, all the stuff. I mean, I have my fingers in lots of pies, but uh, nakedbiblepodcast.com, you know, certainly you can get the feed up there. Um, you listen to us on, you know, iTunes and, you know, Sketcher or Stretcher, whatever that thing is. I mean, Trey puts them on all the services, right. you know. So, you know, you can there's lots of places you can listen to that and get feeds, but the books, my advice is go to Amazon. Everything's up there. Podcast, naked Bible and everything else. If you're looking for it, you know, hit, hit the website. Absolutely. Cool. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of, a lot of good information. I just finished, or my daughter just finished actually the world turned upside down, finding the gospel in stranger things. She's a big fan. Me and her are a big fan of stranger things. And we were, were reading this together. <laughs> what was that? I can't wait for season four. Oh, absolutely. I'm, I'm, I'm excited. And, and we really like that book as well. I recommend it. Like I just, it's a really good book for uh, people her age. So she's my, my daughter's 13. She'll be 14. And, and she just took a lot out of it. And she was like, what, how come they never taught me this at church? And I'm like, <laughs> I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I, I don't know what to tell you there, buddy. You know what I mean? But, uh, um, but uh, it's really good stuff, and it, I think it was like you said, it's really well synthesized for for the layman's like ourselves, and 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 even my my daughter who's thirteen really just captures the information. So it's good stuff. I, I highly I, recommend. I would, say, I would say, you know, again, for fans of Stranger Things, that's the reason why I write books like that in the fiction is because you know you never know what someone's entry point to the content is going to be. Right. Yeah. So I, you know, and I love the show, so that was an easy write, but. Just for like new believers or seekers, I recommend What Does God Want? And it's a little book I wrote just for that audience. And if Unseen Realm is, is too dense, I mean, if, if you're not used to reading books with lots of footnotes, well, the lighter version of that is a book called Supernatural. Mm-hmm. 
no footnotes, you know, no academic discussion. It's just the sort of the core concepts of unseen realm. Mm -hmm. So those are those are some of the you know the scaled back entry points. Uh, in my fiction, I, I like to piggyback fiction, you know, or theology, biblical theology, biblical studies, you know, onto fiction. So that's why I do it, just to try to give people different entry points because you never know kind of what you know what's going to be comfortable for them. Right. No, I mean it's a great way, and like I said. Uh... I got my daughter excited to uh, study the Bible through that book, and that's not easy for a teenager. You know what I mean? <laughs> so that's a good thing, you know? Uh, Mike, I want to thank you for uh, coming on with us. Do you have anything else you want yeah, to say? Yeah, thanks so much. No, I just want to say thanks, Mike, again, for coming on the show. Really appreciate your uh, wealth of knowledge on here. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. All right. So hang with us, Mike. Uh, let's let these folks listen to some music, and we will be right <laughs>
Welcome back. That was a wealth of knowledge, a great conversation. Would you not say, Omar? Yeah, no, definitely, man. Uh, it's good to always have Dr. Mike, you know, a scholar on the show to keep us centered, to keep us from uh, continuing having tea with the Mad Hatter whenever we go down that rabbit hole. Exactly. You know? That's what I was he, telling you. I forgot to mention He likes to lead us out, man. Yeah, yeah. No, if, if you haven't heard, they reference Mike Heiser to be Gandalf, you know? In, in like this other podcast called Canary Cry Radio, and uh, because he, he he he's there for the Middle Earth for those people really seeking out biblical knowledge, you know. And you might think that oh well, all Christians are seeking out biblical truth and knowledge. Well, nope. yeah, not really, you know. So, uh, and well, I mean, I, I think we all get stuck to an extent. We all correct, correct. we all get all of us are content to a certain especially level. yeah, especially Christians. I think we get content and we get to this place where um, we stop seeking, mm -hmm. you know, we stop researching and we right. just get comfortable in our own theologies and our own church. And you, you just expect every, you, you expect too much of your pastor. Mm -hmm. You expect your pastor to do all the legwork for you. Right. Yeah. And there's no so personal there, responsibility yeah. no, there's no, to get into no. the depths of the Bible. And then, no. And then everything you read, you read it on from his perspective, from yeah. his point of view. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and whatever no lens or denomination has been provided, right? Yeah. Whether you're a Baptist, Lutheran, or all that, you read the Bible through this Baptist lens, a Lutheran lens, a mm -hmm. Seventh day Adventist lens, you know? Yeah. Even a non-denominational lens, you'll still read it through that. Right. <laughs> yeah, they, even that's a lens now. So, yeah. So, indeed, it's just a, a good, good episode. I think we likened him to us, to me and Omar, to be the, the, the white rabbit, you know? And not for the reasons like people will follow the right rabbit to get red pilled. No, 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 no. If you've seen the original um, Alice in Wonderland, that white rabbit always appears right at the exact moment where Alice is just about to get stuck in a situation for too yeah. long or, or she's about to like really just get destroyed by something or he, that white rabbit just kind of, you know, frees her from so much trouble. Yeah, you know it's, her, it's, her, it's, her, it's her guide. It's her... I forgot what you what, what that name of the word is, but it's pretty much a, a guide through mm -hmm. the through the psychedelic <laughs> underworld, yeah. which is which is uh, a wonderland, you know. Yeah, and because that's what it is, it's a right. psychedelic uh, underworld, man. It's, and to tie it's it, the unknown. To tie it back to us, it's it's uh, his. Heiser's work has been helpful to get us out of the, the psychedelic wonderland of the fringe community in a sense. You know what I mean? Yeah, and and yeah. if and when we're going to be there, be there with an actual biblical perspective and not what we perceive yeah. to be biblical. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and then when you do, it, it kind of upsets a lot of people because it's like, oh, I wanted this to be true, but it was not true you know, because it's not in the Bible, you know? Yeah. And yeah. so uh, it can be very upsetting. But I mean, if you're really seeking out truth, I mean, that I highly recommend his Well, that's to go. Too. Yeah, that's to go without saying. And I mean, a lot of times we want to believe what we want to believe, you know? Right. And, kind um, of research and, and it doesn't matter what other people say. It doesn't matter what other uh, information is out there, you're going to believe 
what you want to believe. Mm-hmm. And the point is not that. The point is to what does the Bible say about this? What does it really say? And I have to put away my own biases and desires and wants and just really go forward. It, you right. know, you know that's yeah, tough, dude. It is very tough. He has another book called uh, uh, the the Bible Unfiltered, and uh, that one is really good because again, it does what we're doing because we tend to, uh, like you said, uh, research things in an echo chamber. You know what I mean? Like you, especially the church I go to, like, hey, read this book, read that book. All of those books are within the context of the understanding of that denomination, you know? And so when I bring things up that are like mid, mid, you know, Eastern Hebrew thought, you know, what was, what were they thinking? Second temple literature stuff. They're like, uh, well, one reaction was like, well, how come no one, no one else in the church knows that it sounds like they made that up to sell some books or something. You know what I mean? Like, well, I'm like, no, I didn't make that up. That's, what the person like Matthew or Luke or, or Mark was thinking when they wrote this verse, because they they're getting their references from second temple literature. You know what I mean? And it's just like, yeah. And so well, when you're, yeah, when you're in a system, dude, it's kind of like, well, it's, it's when you're in the system, it's, it, it's not obvious, you know? Yeah, and the only thing that's ob- the only thing that's obvious is like, well, if it's that obvious, why don't I know about it? Right. You know what I'm saying? They get, and it's kind of like, well, it's get nothing personal. Yeah, yeah they, they get like, personally it, offended yeah, because in the... They get personal since you're saying I'm dumb, I'm stupid. Or, or it's not worse, about that. Or worse, you're the attacking... The church. You're, you're yeah. attacking their spirituality. You're like, what? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, then how can five million people be wrong? You know? That's <laughs> yeah, yeah. like, well, that's a lot of wrong people. Yeah. Say that to the Mormons. Say that to the Jehovah Witnesses. Say that right. to the Catholics. You know? To the how can five, we're in. <laughs> yeah, it's like, how can two billion Catholics be wrong? Right. Like, ah, that's a lot of wrong people, man. And, and so it's kind of like, it's nothing personal. It has nothing to do with your, you know, with your intelligence, your IQ. It's just, it's that what you don't know, you don't know. Mm-hmm. And if you don't know, you got to look into it. Now you know. <laughs> and now you, you know. You, if you look into it, of course. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, no, and that's kind of the objective of our show always is hopefully we create a curiosity and you go down them rabbit holes and follow the white rabbit. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, man. Yeah. Indeed, yeah. indeed. So, hey, folks, um, thanks for uh, continue to return. I, I still have people like messaging me on, on, uh, on the Instagrams. Uh, and through email saying, Hey man, when's the next episode coming out? And I, I, I appreciate that. That just tells me that you guys are, are, are waiting for us to, to release more content, which is always surprising to us. You know what I mean? We're like, okay, cool. <laughs> no, people still well, want to listen. We'll still hear. We're still, we're still, we're still we, here. Yeah. We hear, man. We hear. Um, so, uh, again, guys, if you guys want to, uh, listen to us, uh, or reach out to us, I should say, uh, email us at firethevradio at gmail.com. Uh, you can uh, find us at, at Facebook at Fire Theft Radio and Instagram at Fire Theft Radio. Or you can message me at Chuck FDR or follow me on Instagram as well. Uh, and just, just uh, man, just reach out to us, man. Uh, I still have, you know, I never fully got into it just because we're lazy about these things. But I have tons of books still by Gary Wayne and William Ramsey and Tracy Yates. And uh, if you guys want to help us out on, um, on Patreon, uh, and uh, you want me to you know, send you a book, email me and at the, at the firetheftradio at gmail.com, and I'll let you know how to get these awesome books. Uh, we posted something on Instagram. Uh, one of our listeners bought uh, these little keychains that were made for us by another listener, which she does a really cool work with, like woodwork, which actually Omar's getting into work, woodwork now. What's up? He's, he's, he's our, our, what's that guy from uh, uh, Swanson? 
What's that guy's name? Ron, Ron Swanson. You're our <laughs> local Ron Swanson, yeah. And um, uh, so, yeah, so we have these handy-dandy little uh, keychain-type things and books. If you want to know how to get one, please reach out to us at firethefradio at gmail.com, and, um, and we'll, we'll let you know how to do that. Um, other than that, did I forget anything, Omar? Uh, no, man. I no, think that's man. it, right? That's it. Thanks for listening to us. We'll be back soon. We're pumping these things out more than uh, usual. Uh, Thank goodness. Thank God. And uh, hey, we'll be back soon. Uh, Almost forgot. Don't forget to spread the fire. Later, folks. to energy everyone and a diverse energy mix is a reliable energy mix propane is a clean energy solution for the gem state because propane is environmentally friendly it's an alternative energy source that won't contaminate soil or groundwater and can help you reduce carbon emissions today learn more about what makes propane the energy for everyone at propane.com